Hello and welcome to episode Ron Hainsey of the Cost for Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Well, it looks like the NHL will finally be back on January 13th, which means we'll finally get to watch some Ottawa Senators hockey after 10 long months off. But before we do a season preview show, I wanted to talk about the Senators farm system. And to do that with me today is creator of HockeyProspecting.com, Byron Bader. Byron, how's it going? Uh, really well, thanks. How are you? Not bad, not bad. I'm definitely happy to have you on. Uh, talking about Senators prospects has been a huge topic for months now since there's been no action to discuss, so it's been kind of strange. Um, and you've certainly been, let's say, a, a controversial figure in the Sens community, uh, if anyone's seen your work just on Twitter. Uh, but before we get into your relationship with the Sens community, are you able to talk about your website and like what goes into your draft models and how accurate you think they are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so like you said, the website is hockeyprospecting.com. Um, and essentially what it does is is use scoring rates, um, so NHLE or equivalencies. Um, and basically it goes back 30 years looking at forwards and defensemen and then now in a way looking at goalies as well and basically what it allows you to do is by kind of tracking players you know over a period of time so I look at them over kind of a five-year period and track them and, and track how these scoring rates adjusted by each league change over time um, and then from there you can kind of it allows you to put every player basically on the same playing field so when you're looking at all these you know hundreds of players coming up in the draft every year or players that were just recently drafted you can look at them all yeah just on the same sort of area instead of you know this guy's over here in the OHL and this guy's over here in the KHL and they all have sort of different scoring rates basically it gives you mm-hmm. a number to sort of follow and look at how that changes over time and then like I said, going back 30 years, um, it allows us to basically look at a player and, and kind of how they're tracking. And you look back at history, you know, 30 years of history, and you're able to say, you know, of the players that look like this, this is their chances of becoming sort of a star offensive producer in the NHL. So that's like a, a 60 plus point per season forward or like a 45 uh, plus point per season defenseman. Um, yeah, and you're basically you're, you're using history to kind of tell you and you're using, you know, the math behind the model to to gear you and, and you know, paint a picture of, of what each player looks like and what their chances are of, of becoming a star and making the NHL. So, yeah, it's super interesting what, what you've been doing, and I definitely recommend it for, for people who haven't um, who haven't looked at your work, hockeyprospecting.com. Now, something I'm curious about, like what has been the response to your work and do you think there's any you see any potential blind spots uh, or things that you kind of are looking to tweak moving forward with it? Yeah, I mean, the reception's been overall like really, really strong. I mean, I kind of started looking at this probably about four or five years ago, just, you know, just kind of had a smaller following on Twitter and I would just mention little things. And that kind of grew and grew to the point that I thought that there might be quite a bit of interest in this. So I started you know, building out the model kind of more officially and then launched the website in January here. And and the reception has been really, really good. And, you know, memberships kind of grown each month, which has been very, very strong. Um, Yeah. In terms of blind spots, I mean, the model is, is looking at scoring production. So, I mean, obviously um, picking up on elite defensive play or, or two-way player Mm -hmm. possession play might not kind of come up in the model, but I mean, the model is kind of designed to tell you, when a player 
sort of produces at this rate, these are their chances. And what you find is even guys that make the NHL um, and they aren't, you know, superstars in terms of their offensive output, but they're kind of stars in different ways or maybe a two-way guy or possession beast or, you know, their defensive, um, yeah, their defensive game is, is very, very elite. What I find in the model is a lot of these guys actually look really good in the model. Um, so what I kind of suggest is, no matter what type of player you're going to be in the NHL, you often kind of dominate in whatever feeder league you're kind of coming up from. It's a little bit different um, in terms of the Euro leagues. You do get a little bit of, you know, if a guy is kind of coming straight from the KHL or the SHL and he's kind of been playing in there since his draft year or just after his draft year. And, you know, there's a little bit of call it wiggle room that way where um, they don't have those elite elite numbers that kind of come up in the model, but you know, oftentimes they, they do, they, they show pretty well in the model, even if they're, they're not, you know, a star in the NHL in terms of an offensive sense. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's holes in it, but um, it works pretty well for kind of giving you an overall, overall view of, you know, a player is going to make the NHL and, and that type of thing. So. Right. And I think with such, with such a fluid game like hockey, I think it's almost impossible to 100% predict, you know, who's going to be a star and who's going to be an NHL and stuff like that. Um, now, Something that others have brought up and that I'm sort of curious about as well, how how well does this model do when you sort of go back and analyze drafts from 20, 30 years ago? Um, it, do, it does pretty well. I mean, you kind of have to error adjust it for the times. So, I mean, yeah, it, it works. It works, you know, pretty close to um, how it works if you look back at drafts from, you know, four or five years ago, kind of more modern drafts. So, yeah, it kind of has the same probabilities going back you know if you look at a group of players and they have you know an 80 percent chance of becoming nhlers if you go back and you look at a group of you know 20 of them you'll find that you know 15 16 of them make the nhl right Right. um same thing from the star standpoint you look back and it says you know after the five-year track this guy has you know a 50 percent chance of becoming a star and then you kind of look back at everybody within that kind of group um and it, it and it turns out pretty well you know you find you have five out of ten guys actually turned into stars so yeah i mean that's that's the beauty of the model is is these patterns and um you know significant points that the model's picking up on like they've, they've existed for decades you know it probably spans further past 30 years but i mean it gets mm-hmm. trickier and trickier to 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 know what you're looking at at that point but i mean yeah like these patterns have existed for decades and they they change i mean the game kind of evolves around them but these patterns are, are pretty consistent and you know once you adjust everything um it, it seems to work so yeah it works really well yeah and it's super interesting to look at um and i think an uh, an important point that you noted was that it seems like people you know for example let's say a player has like an 80 percent chance to be an nhl or something um, you know, like you're saying, eight out of 10 times, that prototype of player is going to be an NHLer. But, you know, if that 20% comes true, then people are probably going to criticize your model and say, okay, look, this guy didn't turn out. But I think they got to realize that, okay, well, two out of those 10 players are bound to not make it anyway. So yeah, I, I think there's a lot of discourse around not just your model, but other models, uh, you know, in hockey and other sports as well, that sort of you know, don't really take that into account. So I think, I think as long as people understand what your role is here and like sort of what they're looking at, I think it's, it's very useful. Um, although it's, it is a bit frustrating to see people sort of, um, 
you know, taking conclusions the wrong way from, from your work. But um, last question about like the model specifically, do you have like an ultimate end goal with this? Like, do you want to end up as an analyst with a team or do you still just kind of like working in the public sphere more? Um, I think it kind of depends. I mean, I really like working in the public public sphere and, and interacting with, you know, fans and, you know, team members and stuff. Um, you kind of have a, a very varied um, audience and, and client base, I guess, call it that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it would be, I've, I've, I've worked, um, you know, some kind of smaller contracts with teams as well. And that's, that's been a lot of fun and, you know, uh, really interesting to sort of get into the, the drafting department side of, you know, a hockey operations and see kind of how they're thinking about it and, and what they're looking at and what's important and what's not. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of open. Um, yeah. I really like where hockey prospecting is going and, you know, you're constantly talking with teams and, you know, obviously there's a lot of teams that are a part of the site as well. So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of open to wherever it goes. Um, no, no definitive end goals in mind right now. Nice. Yeah. I think that's a good approach to sort of see where it takes you, but yeah, it's, it's obviously so new. So yeah, definitely, definitely keep up, up the good work on the, on the site and the model. So getting back to senators related things, I'm sure that the senators fan base has given you some of the most vitriol considering you've been pretty low on them compared to other outlets. Not necessarily like, you're not saying that the senators farm system is bad or anything, but just comparatively to others. So how has your experience been with this specific fan base on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, especially the last couple of months, kind of after the draft, it's been, you know, a little, a little spicy, I guess. Yeah, you can be um, honest. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, that's fine. That's kind of how it goes because I find when I put something out there, especially something about some, you know, kind of like a lesser known prospect that I'm really high on, then, you know, it gets retweeted and liked in sort of a positive framework and everybody's like yeah i knew this guy was going to be great and then if you kind of do the reverse like people just hate bad news it's, it's yeah. the way it goes that's the psychology of of a human being so you know when when a team just has three first round picks um in the same draft and then they draft and then you kind of come out and say yeah it was okay then you know <laughs> you get, you get a, a lot of a lot of criticism about that so you know it kind of comes with the territory i have fun with most of it um you know, a lot of it's kind of in good humor. There's some people that are a little bit more angry than others, but you know, <laughs> it's, it all kind of comes with the territory. So it's, it's fun. For sure. And I, I've even seen people arguing that you're like, quote unquote, looking for clicks. Uh, like, what would you say to those kind of people? <laughs> Not at all. Like I would, <laughs> because it's so, it's so different from um, like the mainstream media. And I'm, I'm not a very, you know, I don't like, starting twitter fights with people and and i'm not very combative like that so i would love it more if you know the senators had like the perfect draft and and their system in my tool looked amazing so then i could just be like yeah senators have one of the best systems in the league and then people would just be like yeah and then you know they would just (laughs) click on it anyways and they would like it but you know that that's not the case and i i i don't have any method of um you know, boosting one team up over another just from kind of my preference or, you know, anecdotal preference. So, you know, the model kind of brings up what it's, what it's telling you. And like I said, when you go back 30 years, like it's, it's pretty accurate how it kind of adds everything up and all the probabilities. So, I mean, that's, that's how it shakes out. So 
not not out there fishing for clicks um but that's just that's just where their system shakes out unfortunately for sure for sure yeah and it's i've i've sort of it's kind of been frustrating to see that um even just not i'm, I'm you know i'm not I'm not even part of the website but it is sort of frustrating to see that uh narrative from a few people on twitter but now another interesting thing that's about the senators is that they've been drafting completely differently than everyone else as they're sort of reaching on a, a lot of players and taking plenty of overagers but they have had various prospects like Drake Batherson, Alex Formanton, Robo Yarventi, Christian Willanen, Shane Pinto, etc., who immediately raise their stocks in their draft plus one seasons. Uh, with some of those players being just classic classic cases of late bloomers. Uh, now, a lot of these guys still haven't fully proven themselves in the, in, in the NHL, so it's definitely too early to say definitively. But what are your thoughts on this strategy of targeting players who are essentially who essentially take big steps at age 18 and 19 as opposed to 16 and 17 yeah i mean that's that's you know an interesting approach they do tend to take a lot of overagers i've noticed that as well just kind of looking at the data and i think that's you know that's big when a player makes a jump like that like essentially you know obviously you want them making those jumps sort of as early as possible so when they're making those massive jumps at you know 16 17 18 um, you know, like a guy like like the Senators kind of passed on, like Marco Rossi making massive jumps <laughs> like that when he's really, really young. That's what yeah. you want to see. That's where they really jump up in the model. But they also jump up huge when they're doing it in their, you know, their D plus one, their D plus two. You start to lose a little bit of that that kind of effect of it once you kind of reach about their D plus three, depending on their age, D plus three, D plus four. Like it really starts to trail off. So when they're making those big jumps, they don't matter as much, but I mean, especially if you're looking at young guys. So let's say you're looking at overagers that are kind of born more in the summer and they're making those big jumps in their D plus one. I love those guys. Cause those guys, you know, they essentially get that, that extra year to work with because they're so much younger than everybody that, you know, if they're making a big stride like that, then, you know, um, they could be good value, especially because a lot of the time you're getting those overagers later on. So yeah, I don't, I don't mind those ones. Um, Sometimes, you know, not too many of them, maybe, maybe like one a draft or one every couple drafts, not three in one yeah. specific draft like the senators <laughs> did. But um, yeah, and like, and some of the guys they were taking, like the overagers, they weren't like summer born, like D plus one. It was like winter born D plus two type stuff. So that's a whole different mm -hmm. scenario. So yeah, I, I like those guys quite a bit sometimes, depending on, you know, what that jump looks like. Um, and then sometimes it might seem like it's, oh, this, this, this guy's the same kind of pick. But then, you know, when you break down his age and you factor in, oh, he's actually making this jump, you know, like 18 months after this, this guy that we drafted last year, that was kind of one of these summer born guys, then it's a whole different scenario. So it really, it really depends um, where they are and sort of their development track and, and what the play, what the jump looks like, I guess. Mm -hmm, for sure. Sort of a sort of some diminishing returns as they age. Um, and I think it'll be fascinating over the next few years to kind of track all these prospects sort of from the, I guess, like 2017 to 2020 drafts. Um, that's sort of the range that they've been skewing this direction. Um, and yeah, it, it'll, it'll just be interesting to watch them progress and see if, um, you know, because not many of them have actually established themselves as NHL players, even though if you have a guy like Drake Batherson, who you know, we assume he's going to be an, be an NHLer, but he isn't necessarily going to be. So, um, you know, even if it 
doesn't work and they fall flat on their faces, I guess that'll be something to learn from. Um, but I will say, you know, going completely against the grain compared to other teams in the league, it isn't always the worst thing in the world. Although, you know, it's definitely not my philosophy. And then obviously just like based on your model too, it's something that isn't going to show up very positively. So, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see in a few years how that works. But now whenever models like yours are made public, I'm, I'm always interested in looking at who is ranked differently compared to the public consensus. So based on your model, who is someone in Ottawa system that ranks much higher than people would think? And who's someone that you would rank lower than uh, the public consensus? So somebody that was ranked high, I mean, I don't think he's thought of as this good, but somebody like Eric Brandstrom, um, like he ranks really, really high in the model. I think he has about a 75% chance of becoming a star and then basically like an equal 75% chance of becoming an NHLer. And that's like really, really high to have anything, especially a defenseman over 50% kind of star probability is excellent. Cause I mean, obviously 50% of those guys are going to work out to be stars, but you know, especially with defensemen, it tends to be a little bit lower. So if you have anything like that, like you should be really, really excited about that player. And yeah, like there's not a lot of the guys that look like that. I mean, I was just looking at it today for guys that look exactly like him, you know, same sort of age curve and then are hitting the same kind of um, scoring rates or equivalencies at the same ages. And basically all you get are, you know, Al McInnes, P.K. Subban, um, Dougie Hamilton, uh, Zach Wierenski, and Sergachev. Like that's basically it. That's the list. So that's that's who you're kind of looking at with Brandstrom. So, yeah, so I, I really like him. And, I mean, he's he's playing in the Swiss League right now, and he's he's destroying it there as well. So that that's, you know – there's, there's been, he's been drafted now. I think this is his fourth year or fifth year after being drafted. And ever since his D minus one, all the way up to today, there's been no point where he's kind of dropped off and kind of had, you know, he's switched leagues. He's gone from, you know, the Swedish league and then he's gone to the AHL and now he's playing in the Swiss league. There's been no point where he's had like a lull and he's kind of dropped down. You'll see that sometimes. And then it's like, Oh, he's just kind of finding his way in the AHL or whatever, but you don't really know, but he's never had any sort of drop off at all. So I think he's going to be really, really good. He's, he's super, super tiny. Um, that's probably why a lot of people are nervous about him, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> but even the tiny defensemen that look like that, they, they make the NHL and do very well. So I'm very, very high on him. And then in terms of somebody lower, um, somebody like uh, Lassie Thompson, you know, first rounder from 2019, and he's one of these players, like he's kind of a, an older D-man. He's one of the oldest defensemen in the draft. He's born in that kind of, you know, back year of September. Yep. And these, like he kind of has like a mid-range equivalencies. And these guys are drafted in the first round all the time, but not a lot of them turn into stars. A lot of the first rounders will make the NHL, but, you know, a lot of them don't. And, you know, you don't want that from a from a first rounder. And then now if you kind of fast forward to what he did in his D plus one and what he's doing so far kind of in the early going of his D plus two in the, in the league, league, he's really fallen off. Like he hasn't really improved. He's in fact, basically just gotten worse. And then, you know, when you break it down and you look at who he compares to um, kind of in the same way as Brandstrom, like you're looking at like Kevin Klein, Griffin Reinhardt, Julius Bergman, and like Matt McKenzie. Um, a lot of these guys haven't even made the NHL. You know, I was looking at kind of yeah. the 
the closest 10 to 15 that look exactly like him at this point. And I think Kevin Klein was the only one that made the NHL. So, you know, that that's one that I'd be very nervous about a first rounder that looks like that already. And that's based off his offensive direction, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, he could be an all defensive defenseman, but again, those, you know, those guys are harder to project, but even in the model, they would look at least half decently, right? Because you and he, he's known for a shot too, so that's not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, and you know, he's, I was kind of reading some scouting reports about him and stuff and it's, yeah, it was kind of talking about like, you know, some of his defensive stuff, but it was a lot of like his offensive stuff, his, you know, his skating and his shot and all that type of stuff. And it's like, yikes. Like if that's what he's supposed to be, that's not trending very well. If he's going to turn into, especially a star, like he, at this point, he's going to be a massive outlier because literally everybody around him hasn't even made the NHL. Um, yeah. So he'd be, he'd be one I'd be pretty nervous about, especially how recently he was drafted and, you know, mid range first rounder. So yeah, those are, those are two kind of yin and yang players, I mm. guess show up in the models for the for the senators hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I think a lot of people are kind of souring on Thompson right now. It seemed like he, you know, didn't have the, the greatest start this year in the Finnish league. And, you know, someone I, I kind of wanted to touch on as well. So we, we talked about Eric Brandstrom and how high you are of him. And I think a lot of people, including Pierre Dorian, still have very high hopes for him. Um, I think, you know with how how much depth Ottawa has on the left side at least in their prospects I think it'd be ideal if Branson could play on the right side long term although they also have Jake Sanderson on the left side who I kind of want to mention right now and I know he's definitely lower on your model Sanderson is but I I want to see if you can maybe touch on just sort of the differences in their playing style so Sanderson's obviously known as more of a defensive type um, although his offense is you know, a lot of scouts talked about how his offense was a lot better in the second half of last year, and he's shown some offensive prowess at the beginning of uh, the season at UND. So, I don't know, like, is there any sort of, um, do you get any sort of indication that Sanderson could be one of those guys that the defensive numbers don't quite show up in your model, and he might end up being just like a solid guy on the second pairing? Yeah, so I, like that's one of the things with Twitter, like you, you send something out there and it sounds like I, I just despise Sanderson. Well, I don't like, I had him ranked quite high. I think I had him kind of ranked like 12th or 13th. Um, I just thought he was drafted a bit too high. Um, especially based on what was there. That's, that's basically why I didn't like the puck, but pick, but I really like him personally. So yeah, if you look at him, like, um, especially like compared to like Thompson, like he's the reverse where he's really, really young. Like he's born, I think in the summer and june or july or something um Mm. that that helps because he has so much runway um to get better and i talk about i talked about this when i wrote my my draft rankings is he doesn't look great in the model yet but part of the model and, and part of what i'm looking at um you know and discussing with teams and stuff is this is what they look like now but 
based on like the significant points that they can hit based on their age, this is what they could look like. And Sanderson, I expect him to sort of like really grow over the years. And like you, you mentioned with UND, he's, you know, he's played three or four games and he's now he's off to the WJC, but um, yeah, he's done really well so far. And that's kind of what I was expecting. So basically I'm expecting him to make a massive jump, like kind of be like just short of a point per game defenseman Mm -hmm. uh, in college would be massive. And then he's going to shoot up huge in the model and he, you know, his star potential is going to shoot up and his NHL potential is going to shoot up. So I think he's, he's going to slot perfectly in as, you know, kind of a, a top four guy. Um, and he might be, um, an offensive star as well. The only thing about that type of player and the kind of group that Sanderson is coming from is they take a lot of time to develop. So, you know, he kind of, he's, like I said, a younger guy with kind of a mid range equivalencies. Like a lot of these guys make the NHL and, and, you know, I think about 15% of them or so turn into stars, but they take years. Like they don't just, it's not like a Quinn Hughes type thing where, you know, he's in the NHL and is D plus two putting up, 60 70 points a year like it's more you know maybe he's in college for two years and then he goes to the hl for a year and then he kind of comes up so it's you know he's two or three years away and then after he he makes the nhl it'll be a couple years before he kind of starts evolving into an offensive producer but he could be you know effective in other ways obviously as well but um yeah like i i really like the player i think he's just he's a couple years away and um yeah, he, he just wasn't as for sure of a thing as some of the other guys that were available at the time he was drafted at, at fifth overall. So, You see, Byron, that's why Twitter just has no room for nuance whatsoever. And because, you know, you, you mentioned you see, uh, you know, if you're tweeting about Sanderson and his, uh, you know, expected star chances and NHL chances and whatever, um, you know, people are going to see that. But it's you know when you when you have conversations like this on podcasts or just like face to face in person it's a lot easier to explain your your rationale because you know if someone listens to this and had previously thought that you know you thought Sanderson was going to be a bust i mean that's obviously not your opinion so um i i do appreciate you kind of clarifying that and and talking about how you know he has the potential to take a a really big leap because that would be massive for the senators like they definitely need sort of that that good number two, whether whether that's Brandstrom or Sanderson, or if they have both at number two and number three on on D behind Shabbat. So um yeah, I, I just sometimes sometimes the Twitter conversations are it's hard to get your point across. And you know, if you're just looking at the numbers, it's there's not uh not room not room for nuance. But yeah, I think I think that would be massive for the team. And Another guy I wanted to touch on was someone who was actually number one on your list for NHL probability for the Senators, and that's Vitaly Abramov, surprisingly. Uh, he's at 81% for NHL probability. Can you just talk about why he's so high on that probability? Yeah, so he's, again, he's a younger guy. I think he maybe he was born in May or something like that. Anyways, he's kind of hits my, my sort of younger category. Um, And yeah, at the draft, I mean, he was kind of in one of these groups where um, he had really good numbers in his pre-draft year, and then he had even better numbers in his draft year, and he's young. So when you combine that all, like these these types of players, I mean, 
at the draft, about 40% of them turn into stars. And then I think about 80% of them make the NHL. So right off the bat, I mean, he's kind of hitting those levels and obviously he kind of drops to whatever it was the third round. Cause he's minuscule. He's like, you know, five, six at this point, I think he's grown a little bit, but like, he's really, really tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously he's going to drop, but like guys that look like that tend to make the NHL, you know, he looked like Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Nathan McKinnon. Like these are guys that kind of, hit those same levels. I mean, obviously McKinnon and, and Nugent Hopkins are kind of, you know, first overall picks, like they have everything kind of going, but if you look at how they look in the model, that's how they look. So that's, that's why he kind of starts off, um, you know, really high on him at the draft. And then from there, you know, again, just kind of like Brandstrom, like he doesn't really fall off. He doesn't have any, he kind of bounces around a little bit. He goes back to the queue, I think. And then, you know, he's in the AHL and, you know, he doesn't have really any, any lull seasons, I call them like, so he doesn't have something where he, you know, he goes to the AHL and he's really struggling and he, you know, he puts up 10 points in 70 games or something. And then the next year he starts going like he, he's just always kind of consistent, which is really, really good. So those guys show, show up favorably in the model. And then he's, he's kind of hitting, you know, slightly higher equivalencies sort of each year or most years anyways. And that's why he kind of grows in the model. So, yeah. So I think his star probability is, you know, low 20%. So he probably doesn't quite hit that, but you know, um, his NHL probability, I think is around 85 or 86%. So yeah, he looks, he looks really good. He's kind of one of those underrated guys that, um, that, you know, he's looked good forever. And, um, now he's, he's destroying it in, in Europe. So hopefully he comes over and, and at least gets a chance in the NHL to see what, what he is. So. Yeah. He's an interesting prospect to follow. And, not going to lie, I was shocked when Ottawa acquired him in the Duchesne trade just because he's, I think he's, I think now he's maybe 5'9", I want to say. Um, and he's also, you know, and, and they completely avoid small players. And he's also Russian, and they hadn't acquired a Russian in, in a really long time. So, you know, the fact that they actually have him in the system is is quite surprising. But, um, yeah, I mean, do you think, do you think that moving into the NHL level with his size will end up being something that's, you know, a, a bit of a detriment for him? Um, I think maybe, like, it depends how he's kind of used because, you know, it's taken him this long and he's not kind of as hyped as some, like, really high offensive octane smaller guys that are coming in, like Johnny Gaudreau, and he was kind of coming into the league. Like, you know, it was it was pretty obvious that, he was going to get used in kind of like a, a top line or a top six role and he was going to get the power play time. And then that's where he's kind of thrived where, you know, um, Abramov, like, is he going to get used in the same way or do they not really have a spot for him or is he not as talented as some of those guys that he's going to kind of get put in like a bottom six role where, you know, your job is to get in on the four check and you're checking, you know, the other team's top lines or whatever, that type of thing. Then you know, who knows, maybe, maybe he's too small for that, but I think, I think he'll, he'll get in. I don't know if he'll be a star or anything like that, but I, I think he'll, he'll definitely get in to the NHL for at least a little while, you know, maybe it's only a hundred games or something, but um, yeah, like there's, there's, there's so few players that, that rank that highly that, that kind of look that good in the model that, yeah, he has a really good chance. I mean, you're starting to get a little bit long in the tooth because he was drafted, I think, in 2016. So you're getting a little bit further out. So you kind of want him to make it, you know, sooner than later. But, um, yeah, I think he's got a decent shot um, to to do something in the NHL. Mm-hmm, for sure. Now, 
you have the Senators' overall system as 11th in the league in your based on your model. Uh, although the goaltenders specifically rank very high at fourth, so can you speak to as to why they rank so highly uh, amongst their goaltenders? Um. Yeah, so they have one guy like Marcus Hogberg. He, I mean, he was drafted in 2013, and I, I haven't really heard too much about him. Um, but he looks really, really good in the model. So the way the model works basically is um, essentially it's, it's, it's more favorable to European goalies. And the reason for that is because the European leagues are, are kind of closer to mimicking what you're going to face in – um, in the NHL, I mean, especially the KHL and the Swedish league, because their equivalency is very, very close to the NHL. So these guys are facing tougher and tougher competition. And Hogberg has kind of been facing that elite Swedish competition for years and years, like shortly after he was drafted. So that's why he looks so good. And, you know, he actually compares quite closely to a guy like Jacob Markstrom. Um, and it took years and years for Markstrom to kind of come in and establish himself as a starter. So maybe that's what's happening with Hogberg. But like I like I said, like there's not a lot of guys that have, you know, his, his chances of making the NHL right now are 87%. And there's not a lot of guys that are that high um, in the goalie model. So he's the big one that kind of boosts them up. But then, you know, guys like Philip Gustafsson, who they got from Pittsburgh, and then Kevin Mandelis. Um, and even a guy that they like, they just drafted Matt Sogard, like they look pretty decently in the model. Um, so you kind of add all those guys up and, and they actually have like a decent pool of goalies. Like you figure one of those guys is hopefully going to come in and, and kind of get a starter job and maybe even be like a really, really good starter that kind of, you know, wins more than they lose and, and, um, that type of thing. But yeah, the odds are, you know, it looks like Hogberg, especially cause he's kind of starting to get starts now and, you know, the Sens acquired Matt Murray, but, you know, maybe there's a chance for Hogberg to, to get, you know, 20 or 30 games in and kind of establish himself. But yeah, they have, they have a couple, couple different pieces in the system that sort of boost them up. And, you know, a lot of teams in terms of their goalies, like they have one okay prospect or in a lot of cases, they don't even have any. So, um, you know, the Sens look like they have, you know, two or three, pieces that that have a chance so that's why they kind of shoot up like that so right and it's good to hear that because that's sort of the discourse in the senators fan community is that well they have so many options that you know one of them is bound to to stick and so it is kind of good to see that backed up with some of the data um is there one in particular i know you're talking about hogberg is there one in particular like let's say in five years from now if you know, hopefully if Ottawa is like a contending team, is there one that you think would stand out the most as being like that starting goaltender? Um, I think I would still go with Hogberg. I mean, he's a little bit older now, but, but at that point, you know, he would only be in his maybe early thirties. Yeah. He'd be 31. Yeah. So, I mean that, I mean, that's the age that Markstrom is now and Calgary just signed him to a massive Mm -hmm. deal of what he's done the last kind of two years in Vancouver. So, I mean, I'd probably still pick him, you know, Gustafsson maybe too, but, you know, he doesn't look nearly as good as Hogberg and he's kind of almost near the end of his, his track period in terms of how I track him in hockey prospecting. So yeah, I'd mm-hmm. still kind of lean Hogberg because um, yeah, he won't be that old. And, you know, the, the sort of peak years for goalies kind of happen later on. Um so, yeah, I think he's he would still be kind of a good bet there. OK, 
Okay, okay. Now, yeah, and, and one guy that we haven't touched on, which I think most Ottawa fans would actually have him, you know, like right behind Hogberg in, in terms of rankings, and some people maybe even uh, above of, above Hogberg, uh, is Joey Decord. And he's definitely lower on your model here, um, but he is probably, like, if they're going to... Well, actually, actually, yeah, Ottawa is going to have to have three goalies in, um, like, including the taxi squad this season. And I, I'm i assuming that Joey Decord is going to be on that taxi squad because he was Belleville's starter at the end of last year. So should we be tempering our expectations, I guess, with Decord? Um, yes and no. Like, yeah, like, he's kind of getting those starts and, and flagged as, like, the number three guy. Like, he'd be, like, a big outlier like already like looking at him like yeah he has the lowest probability in the in the send system but you know there are those those kind of late bloomers that that do pop up like his chances are 14% but you know um like one out of 10 of those guys are going to make it right like you know yeah. when you look at guys like Marty Turco and Mike Smith and stuff like they don't look great either because they kind of you know turned it on way later than than most goalies and they are just kind of coming through um yeah, the North American system is a bit more dicey to find, you know, NHL goalies because they're just not facing that that type of elite men competition like Euro goalies are. So, yeah, I mean, he could make it. Um, there are there are outliers in the model, like um, you know, a guy like Cam Talbot. He took years and years, like he was completely undrafted, and he took, oh, I think it was like eight or nine years before he started to get starts in the NHL. And he Sheesh, looked yeah. like a dreadful in the model. Like he, he has like a 10% chance or something because <laughs> he was just playing in like weird leagues and he wasn't really being used. And then it took a couple of years before he was being used in, in college. And then, you know, he's playing in the minors and stuff. And then sure enough, he kind of emerges as, as the backup in the Ranger system. And then he's, he's traded off and he kind of becomes a, a, a starter in Edmonton. So yeah, it can happen. I mean, um yeah the odds are just against them based on on the you know 30 years of of history but but there are guys that emerge like that that's why the percentage isn't isn't zero i guess so there's always mm-hmm. a chance for sure and I, I i think the main reason why i want him to become good is just so that we can use the nickname joey okay yeah i think that's <laughs> <something. laughs> yeah now so when you look at the senator's farm system what is something or even a few things that you think they'll need to address address in order to become contenders and where do their strengths lie in your mind? Yeah. So I think like they have a, they have a decent system. Like, like you said, like they have a lot of pieces in the system, you know, um, Brandstrom is, is kind of their, their golden goose in my mind. Abramov has a good chance. Um, obviously Stutzel, you know, he's, he doesn't look as favorable as, as some of the guys that kind of went around him in the model, but he looks good and he's still growing. I mean, again, I'm not low on him. I just, I just liked a couple of different players more than him, but then, you know, guys like Norris and Batherson, um, Logan Brown still has a shot. So they have like a lot of call it NHL um, caliber prospects that, that could make it. I think where they're, where they're really lacking, which Again, because these players are growing and you're going to see, you know, hopefully you see jumps from guys like Stutzel and, and Ridley Gregg and um, Jake Sanderson. And then they kind of evolve into these high probability star 
players, but they don't have a lot of those guys currently in the system. So, you know, whether that's drafting them or kind of acquiring them in trades or that type of thing, like Brandstrom, you know, he's, he's over 70% probability of being a star, but then they don't really have anybody else kind of over 40% right now. So if they can get a couple more of those pieces in the system, I think that would uh, really springboard them forward, you know, like something like, like the Kings are kind of doing like they're, you know, whatever they're picking up on, if it's, you know, this similar stuff or, you know, uh, a model that kind of picks up on the similar data in, in, a, in a similar way, they, they are loaded with like star potential and NHL potential. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, you just need to add those star pieces that you can, you know, put into your lineup as like a, a top six piece that can be a massive piece in four or five years. That's, you know, putting up, you know, a point per game or something and, and, and building into, yeah, a player that you can kind of use all over and, and, and yeah, all the, all the teams that, you know, kind of make the playoffs and do well, they have a lot of these, these stars on their team. So that's, that's the missing I'd say with the senators, they just need to add, um, you know, two or three of those big, big star potential pieces. For sure. And I think most people would agree with that. I, I definitely agree. I think, um, you know, based on your model, they have just under 10 expected NHLers. So, you know, if they, end up getting 10 NHLers. I think they should have some pretty solid depth, but it seems like they kind of will really need that last final piece, especially a good high-end winger. Um, with that in mind, I don't know how much attention you, you're, pay, uh, you're paying to the 2021 draft, but is there is there a particular player in this upcoming draft that you think they could benefit from drafting the most? Um... Yeah, I've kind of like I haven't started to load it into the model yet because obviously COVID is ruining everybody's lives and, <laughs> and no players are playing right now. Um, but yeah, I have kind of been watching like obviously a couple of the guys in, in in Europe and stuff. But William Eklund would be massive. Like he's one of those guys that that's going to look um, amazing in the model. Like I can just tell just watching what he's doing right now. And he's you know this isn't this isn't coming from the OHL and, you know, he's playing on the worst team in the OHL and they're just loading up his minutes and he's just scoring at mm-hmm. will. Like this is coming in essentially the third hardest league in the world. And his numbers, like when you break it down, like they basically only compare to, you know, Elias Lindholm and the Sedins essentially um, mm-hmm. when you break it down to that league. So he would be massive. And, you know, as far as what I'm reading with, with most of the major outlets is, you know, he's not really being mentioned in the, in the top 10, like he's kind of maybe, you know, more like Rossi kind of the back end of the top end, top 10 or, you know, 10 to 15 kind of range. But he's a guy that I would probably be looking at, um, you know, at least with the early going and, and how he's doing so far, like I'd be looking at him in the top five. So if they could get him, I think that would be kind of a perfect piece for them, um, you know, to work well with, with Stutzel or, or Josh Norris down the road. I think, I think he would be, yeah, he'd be perfect. Interesting name to keep an eye on for sure. I think they, they've they definitely been sort of prioritizing guys who, you know, are responsible two-way players. Not sure if Eklund, you know, doesn't fit that description, but I think they definitely need a lot more high-end skill. So here's hoping that, uh, you know, him or a guy like him ends up being taken by Ottawa. But um, so the last thing I wanted to touch on, just this last subject, I guess, uh, was the most recent draft for the Sens. So I saw your thread in October talking about it just after the draft, but tell the listeners what your thoughts were on it. And if you still, if you still feel the same way about it. 
Yeah, still feel the same way. Um, and yeah, so basically, I thought it was okay. Um, you know, they probably drafted, you know, two to four NHLers in there, which is good. I mean, if you get that many in any draft, that's great. But it was more, I didn't love what they did based on sort of the position they were in and all the draft picks they had. So, you know, um, like their first pick is Tim Stutzel. And, you know, he was kind of consensus number three. Um, and I, I don't, I, again, I don't, I don't hate that pick, but there was just, there's a couple players that um, just profiled way better in the model. And I, I think have more upside, like Marco Rossi looks like a, almost a sure thing star. Um, so I think he would have been kind of a, a better pick there, but you know, he's, he's the bigger center, um, Tim Stutzel is. So I, I can kind of get on board that. And then again, the Sanderson pick don't hate it. I think it's just going to take years for him to kind of show into something. Whereas, you know, guys like Rossi and, and Perfetti and, and Drisdale were still there. And I think they're going to pop and be in the NHL and producing a lot earlier. And then the, the really great pick was fine. That's kind of, um, you know, a, a younger, a younger guy with upside. So that's pretty typical of what's available in the later first round. So, and then after that, that's where I really don't like what they did. So essentially to sum up, like they basically took a combination between um, an older draftee. Um, the draftee is in a lower equivalency um, or, and, or they're an overager. So basically every pick that they took after this is, is any kind of combination of these three things. Um, and, you know, based on where they were picking and, you know, they're trading up for, for Tyler Clevin and that type of thing. Like, I think they could have done a lot better. And, you know, like I said, I think they'll probably end up with, you know, two to four NHLers out of this, you know, maybe, maybe in the two to three range, but I think they could have ended up with, with five or six of them and they could have ended up with, you know, maybe two stars out of the draft. And if you can walk out of any draft with, let alone one star, but maybe get two, I mean, that's, that's massive. So I, I think that's where they kind of um, really faltered and, and they could have done a lot better. And this was a really, really deep draft. Like I, I wrote about this on my blog. It was, you know, just looking at the numbers and, and the probabilities, like this is one of the deepest drafts that we've ever seen. And, you know, the senators could have cleaned up with, this bounty of draft picks that they had. And I think they just, they didn't as much as they could have. Um, so that's, that's why I was a bit lower on them than, than some of the kind of major outlets. But um, yeah, I still think they, they got some, some NHLers in there. Um, I just think it could have gone a bit better. Mm-hmm. So would it be safe to say that like their overall value from the draft is still probably one of the highest, especially because they had those two top five picks, but in terms of efficiency, it'd probably be a lot lower. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're going to end up with NHLers, but yeah, like, yeah, if you look at their efficiency, I mean, they kind of didn't use a lot of those picks as, as efficiently as they could have for sure. Mm -hmm. And now (laughs) it's been sort of funny to watch on Twitter and just, you know, on the blogs and stuff, it's almost like a lot of Ottawa fans are sort of have this chip on their shoulder where they, um, you know, are seeing, people like scouts and and people like yourself who have these models, they're sort of, um, you know, going against this and saying like, you know, Ottawa scouts know best and all this stuff. So it, it'll be pretty funny to watch just, um, I, I think 
I think the fan base is just very protective. And so I'm not sure if that's something that you've, you've noticed so far or anything, but uh, I think people are definitely just very excited about this, about like the, the Senators prospects, the prospects they have right now. So um, I think it'll be pretty contentious just sort of following these guys along, whether they uh, succeed or whether they sort of fall off. Oh yeah, for sure. Like anybody who, who basically turns into a star, they're going to just rub it in my face, even if I <laughs> yeah. mentioned that they weren't going to be a star and that right. type of thing. But yeah, like I said, like that's the way it goes. Like people love positive news and you know, your team just drafted three picks in the first round. So you basically want to hear like, oh yeah, like our team's set up now. We, we had the draft to set us up and, and that's what we had. So when you get somebody kind of going against the grain and saying, I don't think you set yourself up the way you could have, then you get a lot of fire and backlash the other way, but that's okay. That's how it works. For sure. Exactly. Now, very last question for you here, Byron. Uh, if you could sum up the Senator's farm system in a sentence or two, what would you say? Um, good NHL possibilities. Just need to add some star potential. I think I can certainly agree with that. And I think a lot of, a lot of others could as well, but that'll do it for today. But before we sign off, where can people find your work? Uh, yeah. So the website's hockeyprospecting.com and it's um, a $25 subscription for the year. And then you get access to, to all the tools we kind of been talking about. And like I said, it goes back 30 years and it has uh forwards defenseman. And then there's a new, a new goalie model in there now too. So yeah, you can look back over the past 30 years of history. Um, and then my Twitter is Byron M. Vader, and I kind of release little tidbits about players and the model and stuff on there. So feel free to follow me there. And uh, yeah. Definitely recommend subscribing. Definitely recommend following him on Twitter. And thanks for coming on, Byron. It's always nice to get some new insight. You bet. Thanks for having me. Thanks. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cosper Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CPPointcast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. And also keep an eye out for a new episode within the next little while. Adios.